Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Ahoy, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to talk to you about Star Trek Discovery's 2017 New York Comic Con panel and a little bit about their Paley Center for Creative Media panel. Pete, before we jump in, we want to highlight and re-announce a uh, contest that we are running for all you Star Trek fans. A reminder that uh, if you leave us a review on uh, either our Star Trek Discovery podcast feed or our Pop Culture podcast feed, you'll be in the running for not one, not two, but one of three Star Trek Discovery officially licensed badges. They are pretty sweet. We got ops. We got sciences. We got medical. I can tell you the, uh, the magnet deal that they have to keep it on your shirt makes it look like it is part of your own uniform even if you're just wearing you know an old navy t-shirt or something like that and uh, it's good stuff there do make sure that if you leave us a review on uh, on the itunes feed for either of those that you uh, reach out via twitter via facebook via email to just let us know your uh, your itunes name so we can match you up with uh, your email if you are the winner you are definitely going to want to own one of these badges. So get on that. Uh, and again, let us know. Uh, but Matt, um, heading into the panel here with uh, all of our cast at New York Comic Con, um, we'll, we'll jump right in saying that uh, the person that they chose to moderate this panel could not possibly have been a better choice indeed pete we were hoping for after trek host matt myra not chosen for whatever reason we were fearful of the unnamed moderator from a uh, a previous star trek convention who is in all truth the worst moderator that i know i have ever seen i think you share that opinion mm, instead pete we went literally into space. Or maybe not quite literally. We went to someone who has literally been in space with Dr. May Jemison, an actual astronaut, an actual Star Trek fan, and someone who has appeared on screen in Star Trek. Yes. Uh, she, having been the first woman of color into space, uh, she is involved with the 100-year Starship program, uh, trying to figure out and, and answer real-world questions as far as continuing our exploration into space. <laughs> Sometimes you, you just hit the mark perfectly, and between her credentials and the really considerate way in which she approached this topic as a fan and, and going over her connection with Star Trek again, the, the 1960 original series and uh, Uhura and the idea of exploration and, you know, a fan of the Vulcans and everything else. Um, they squared this up perfectly. So kudos to New York comic con and CBS for, uh, Hitting a home run in the old Parisi's squares. <laughs> yeah, she was absolutely wonderful. And indeed, she is one of those people. You know, Star Trek has this rarefied air that that most shows do not, which is Star Trek has this track record of really genuinely inspiring people to a 
of Star Trek path. You know, usually it's toward the sciences, sometimes medical, sometimes engineering, or sometimes it's you know creativity, creative writing, this, this sort of thing. But so many people have been moved by Star Trek where, you know, with all due respect to, I don't know, MASH, no one is saying, boy, I want to go be a, be, be a doctor in, in the army, which is a shame they do wonderful work. Or people don't watch, you know, I don't know, um, Big Bang Theory and say, I want to be guys on a couch or whatever that show is about. Um, but she's <laughs> one of those people that Star Trek inspired her along the way, inspired her as a child in the 60s to, to end up literally in space. Yeah, and she did such a wonderful job. And with the introduction of uh, both the creative staff, um, which included uh, executive producer and, uh, you know, no stranger to the Star Trek universe because of his involvement co-writing uh, the, the films, Alex Kurtzman who uh, co-developed the show with Brian Fuller, who was not there, um, and showrunners Aaron Harberts and Gretchen J. Berg, and then uh, Akiva Goldsman, who's also uh, a high-placed exec producer, and uh, Heather Caden. And then we had all of our main cast from Sneakwa Martin Green, Right on down, Doug Jones and Anthony Rapp and uh, Jason Isaacs, who just worked like a madman at New York Comic Con doing pictures and autographs uh, for the entirety of the time that he was there. Really the only one of the cast that made it over to the Jacob Javits Center. We were at the theater at at Madison Square Garden and you had – Mary Wiseman, you had Shazad Latif, you had Wilson Cruz, you, you had everybody. Mary Chifo, uh, let's not forget. Mary Chifo as well, I'm sorry. Both, it's, both it's, Marys, it's, that, could, that could twist you up when you got two Marys going on. Yeah, and, and how female-centric this show has been, particularly with the last episode and and um, Laurel really uh, – you know, making some moves. So, uh, and, and, oh yeah, we, we, we have a, another cast member we'll, we'll get to a little later in the episode, uh, who put in an appearance too. a little bit of a surprise. It, it, uh, by far was the largest group of people I had seen on a stage for a panel. Uh, re- refresh my memory, Pete, by the end of that night, did walking dead equal it or, sup- or surpass it? I think they took one chair away. I think they had 12 chairs to Star Trek Discovery's 13 chairs. So you're doing something right when, you know, what you're putting out can even attempt to rival the most popular thing on TV, even with the narrative issues that have beset them the past two seasons. The convention production, the panel production, I think that they're all still getting a little used to it. It certainly wasn't quite the well-oiled machine. That's not to say it was negative anyway. Just Mae Jemison occasionally would ask a question. I think that everybody was kind of nervous to step on everybody else, uh, particularly if she was asking a broad question. So uh, we saw Kurtzman being the one to, to step up initially, which I thought was interesting because he certainly has had a public face towards the show and doing mm-hmm. media and this and that. But, you know, he's not the day-to-day showrunner. Uh, I wasn't entirely clear. You know, sometimes you get these executive producer credits. You know, how much of it is a vanity credit or, well, how much of it is a vanity credit? How much are they working for it? So I wasn't clear, 
how involved is he really? Is he just the bridge from, you know, he did some Star Trek movies and now he does some stuff here, but he seems to be kind of the, you know, uh, I don't know, the, the chairman emeritus, if you will, which is not yeah. to say he's not involved in the show, just kind of, kind of the godfather of it all, despite the fact that there are people with other day-to-day operations. Yeah, and he fielded, uh, in particular, a, a couple questions later on, big idea uh, types of issues when it came to the show's overall outlook, you know, to address the Klingons when when that came up um, was the one to take the question. One of the fans we suspect it might have been um, one of the fan media outlets, maybe a, a, a Trek core or a Trek movie uh, asked about the paywall. Um, and what are you telling your friends about CBS All Access? And you've got to understand, too, there's not a person who was on that stage that had any control in Star Trek Discovery being on CBS All Access. That was determined before they had this show. Um, Kurtzman had been linked for some time to the development of the TV show fuller having the pun intended fuller knowledge of star Trek as a TV operation. Whereas Kurtzman was coming from the films. And I know Gretchen Berg uh, answered that question as well, which is, you know, I say to my friends, check out the show. It's really, really awesome. Words to that effect. Um, And she was, she was quick and rightfully so quick to point out, uh, as you said, Pete, this was a decision made long, long ago. So I think it's important to not, you know, to not relitigate the the existence of all access and the Netflix deal and so on and so forth. Other than she, Gretchen Berg, seemed to really have a sense of resolve in saying we are aware on a daily basis that people are making a choice with their money to support this show. This is not a choice in clicks. This is not a choice in easy views it's not a choice in on demand or dvr something a bit more passive people are actively choosing to get this thing for this thing it's not even like hbo where you get it for game of thrones but hey while you have it let's check out the saturday night movie hey let's check out the deuce hey let's check it's this is it right now yes there are other shows but this is it and she seemed to have a respect for the fan and the fan money and putting it back into the show to make a great show and i don't think anyone and we podcast the show episode to episode so we have to be there but i don't think anyone who's paid for this can objectively look at these first four episodes and say they are not pouring this money back into this production this is as lavish as high tech as star trek has ever been on any screen TV, film, what have you. This this competes with the films in terms of its attention to detail and and you know uh, technical uh, difficulty, and it definitely exceeds anything we've ever seen on the small screen. And it has to. The bar has been raised in 2017. What with your Game of Thrones and, and everything in between, was subscription television. And certainly, just just to wrap up this aside on all access, uh, this is the month where where um, 
either it's going to be proof positive or not of the CBS all access model, by which I mean, if people have, if people got their free week of a subscription, which is what you can do with the, uh, the ad supported one and then stayed on for the month or accidentally got charged for the month. Now they're watching the show. Fine. If people are leaving the show in droves, a you're crazy, but B this is the month where, all right, I've clicked to cancel. It'll run out at the end of the month. So I think there really is that there really is that appreciation for the fans that are connecting to this show and advocating for this show. And uh, Pete, that's why we were there at the uh, Discovery panel at New York Comic Con. Absolutely. And, you know, given that we now know we're going to get the first nine episodes, they will take their midseason break. They'll return with the final six. And we have we'll talk about a little later. We have the first slate of episode titles until the break um those popped up today um but let let's talk about this panel and i think we have to begin with the show's star in Sinequa mark green yes certainly no uh no stranger to the world of uh of high impact high intense energy uh conventions uh what with her history with the walking dead but she she truly she carries herself like a captain the captain that we suspect she's going to end up being she carries herself like the lead on this show which of course she is and she's somebody who you can tell just gets what it means a to helm a star trek mm-hmm. b to helm this star trek something that's trying to essentially change change the mold in a larger way than let's say deep space nine did and so on and so forth but then also you add to it the the aforementioned social responsibility that star trek has and what it means for her as a woman of color to be top build on a show and to be the main character on a show um and she just exudes all of that oh so easily yeah i think it was fitting that the walking dead which is really big in this convention to begin with it's kind of the unofficial walking dead convention uh being in october every year right around each season's launch but having been on that cast for several seasons and breaking out now to get a starring role on a star trek show and she retold the story about Nichelle Nichols at the premiere, you know, about, hey, enjoy this. It's yours now. That passing of the baton. I get goosebumps even repeating the story that she told us, which she's retold several times. I can't imagine what it's like to live that. Um, but she was asked, the, the, I think the, the important takeaway was, hey, well, Burnham – you know, we've, we've seen the mutineer stuff We're we're coming to see her finding her place on discovery. Will we see anything of a romantic nature? And I think the thing that bodes the best for this character in terms of being fully fleshed out on the page to the screen, she said, we're going to do everything. Yeah. Which, uh, a, it's general enough to not be spoilery and B, who who's the we is it burnham i mean that's probably a safer bet but you know who else might see romance who might see romance with burnham i uh, want a saru uh love triangle with the robot lady and um the really gigantic head alien on on the bridge and and i want it to be humorous 
you know what, Pete? As long as it is safe and and sane and consensual, I'm okay with it. If if that's what works for them culturally, personally, within the workplace, that's okay. Um, it really was incredible to hear uh, to hear from the different actors on the stage. I know we're going to circle back to the producers in a little bit, but uh, I mean. Uh, Jason Isaacs there he has the the Mets hat on that, that brought yes. you to Let's yes. go Mets. Um, and um, I know he had a question back to uh, Mae Jemison essentially asking when you're up in space and you look down does your sense of country disappear and your sense yeah. of humanity uh, increase and she had a really interesting answer which is as a product of the 60s she believed in that sense of humanity more than country um, her answer May surprised that me. She said she felt closer to the universe than to humanity while she was up there, which was a really great way to go about answering the question because he had deflected her question. <laughs> they were giving him a hard time about, you know, potentially being a, a villain on this show in the way that Lorca has gone about uh, things in the, in the one episode in which we had seen him to that point, they did screen for us the very beginning, the tease uh, before the title card of episode one Oh four, which then uh, came out the next day on, on Sunday. On the other end of the spectrum, Pete, you know, here we've had this novel way in which the story has unfolded, essentially a prequel movie, if you will, with the first two episodes that really should be combined to one, whatever, broadcast all access, we get it. Um, so kind of a prequel portion of the story, then the main story, the pilot episode in episode three, and everybody's been introduced, except for Shazad Latif. And I kind of felt like, hey, I hope, I hope they took everybody out to dinner. I hope they got nice <laughs> hotels. Like, this guy, he can't say anything other than a little hint as to, and I wasn't certainly aware, Pete, in my spoiler-free existence, that he's going to be coming from a rather dastardly trajectory. But yeah. he, he couldn't, you know, people couldn't say, oh, I love your character even only after one episode. Or, I mean, even Wilson Cruz, my goodness, to know that to know that uh, the doctor's relationship with uh, with. Uh, Lieutenant Stamets. Yes, with Lieutenant Stamets. Like at least you can say, oh, it's the fa it's the famous Wilson Cruz of stage and screen. He's playing this uh, the, the doctor, and he, there's going to be this this uh, iconic relationship with Shazad Latif. There's none of that known yet, other than uh, I guess troubles are coming when he shows up. Well, he was only able to repeat what producers had said before that uh, we will meet him first in prison, and he comes to us in this fifth episode which premieres this sunday uh choose your pain um and he's he's there with rain wilson with harry mudd so interesting that a regular is going to come from that background so you know it was a big deal when rain wilson was cast to play harry mudd here in this prequel bringing a, a fan favorite, an all-time character back to life and hear the idea that somebody who's, you know, rubbing elbows with him in a, in a Federation or a Klingon prison, we don't even know which, will reemerge um, and, and be a regular on this show. So that was a really interesting aspect. We also had Mary Chifo talking uh, a little bit about Laurel, I think kind of echoing this notion of, 
yeah, if you're picking up some, uh, you know, if, if you're picking up some sparks from Laurel, more sparks are coming. Um, and I think even feeding possibly into that sense of, you know, everybody could get into everything. Yeah. Um, who knows where that is headed? Pete, I do, I do watch the episode Sunday nights for the podcast and then I rewatch with my daughter the next day or, or within a couple of days. Part of it is just keeping an eye towards what exactly is, what exactly is TV 14 Star Trek? What is TV MA <laughs> Star Trek? What, what, what does it look like when Klingons, you know, and how much and who knows? Um, but she just, she also had this enthusiasm for, yeah. for the character and talking about how trying to, to mimic and, and master the Klingon tongue is like learning Shakespeare where it doesn't make sense until the, the sound of it starts to finally uh, make its way through your brain. The very guttural um, and and nay stilted, but in a positive way, delivery that has gone on. You know, I know I know some people have been on like, oh, with the subtitles. But but still, we we feel so much a part of that world with these extended Klingon sequences and forget the language sounding somewhat Shakespearean. I think their plot is Shakespearean. In the best sense, I mean, you look at what went on in Sunday's episode in episode 104, the the butcher cares, the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. And you had a Machiavellian turn out of both Laurel and Cole in terms of what went on in that episode. And, and we still have quite a bit to go with this matriarchal house of Mokai that he's now going to go and study at the feet of, you know, what, what's a maternal, uh, Klingon group like, will, will they, you know, totally blow our expectations away and, and have some kind of sensitivity and, and, you know, emotional depth, uh, in terms of compassion or will they be worse than the men? We also had Mary Wiseman uh, speak about Tilly and her enthusiasm for the character, her exuberance for the character, uh, and her exuberant portrayal of the character certainly came across as well. And it, it was it was as clear there as it is on the show that Tilly is meant to be this surrogate for the audience as, as she explores her world, we are exploring the world of the Discovery as well. Being with the cast there... And of course, Sinequa Martin Green and Mary Wiseman, both attractive women, but with so much hair, Matt. And then you watch the TV show and they don't have as much hair. Um, what they do with Mary Wiseman alone, she has this gigantic head of red hair and, and that they're able to, you know, get it down and, and flat in the, in the Starfleet uniform aesthetic uh, seems like an achievement in and of its own for the, the hair and makeup department. So, and it, it can't be easy for them to go through that and then to deliver an emotive performance when, you know, your hair's all tight and, you know, uh, done up there, but, you know, being able to relax here and, and seeing their, their big heads of, uh, beautiful hair, uh, Hopefully we'll get a little bit more of that on the show in different contexts. Well, and from those big heads of hair to uh, the beloved Doug Jones, who uh, 
I, I can only assume for makeup purposes, it's easier to keep the uh, to keep the the head shaved. It also looks like perhaps he uh, he trims or shaves his eyebrows as well. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like spending the amount of time that he does in full prosthetics. I mean, we've had we've had full prosthetics before. I mean, Quark and Odo come to mind. Although, I mean, I would say in the case of Worf, you know, it was a little bit less. It was the thing on top and it was the nose and it was, right. was a, you know, there's a little less to it. But he's just fully ensconced, uh, you know, in, around his entire head and still just seems he seems so exuberant to be to be playing this character. Yeah. And again, I think he knows what this show and franchise means and he's certainly been a part of enough but never anything this big and to be a regular performing fully as himself not something that is going to have another voice dubbed on or doesn't get to speak or whatever it is um you know just a, a tremendous performer i have not yet seen i don't know if you have matt them go through his routine i mean certainly we're aware of the the boots to create the effective hooves and everything like that we have the cgi with the threat ganglia um and we got to see that clip before anybody else in in the turbo lift of them coming out um but you know just he brings so much to this role and steals every scene he's in yeah, I mean, you figure back in the 60s, I believe Leonard Nimoy's call time was either half hour or 45 <laughs> minutes before William to Shatner. Put, to put on ears. Yeah, to put on ears. <laughs> and both he and Shatner, uh, as as part of the call sheet, they would get uh, uh, eggs and toast and coffee. So, you know, roll up at 7.30 for, you know, an 8.15 shoot time or something like that. Uh, Doug Jones, there for the head. There's a cowl piece, so that without his face, that's one part that then has to get put on and presumably glued. And then there's the face, the facial part, which is pre, uh, pre-painted and pre-makeuped and this and that, the other, and pre-made up, I suppose is the, the proper way. And then that gets glued on, and then it gets made up along the seams and so on and so forth. Then he puts on the gloves. Then he puts on the boots. Then he's ready to start his day. And you figure at some point there, there's got to be, you know, a, a meal, a breakfast meal component, or otherwise he's showing up or yeah. I mean, heaven help the guy if he has to take a bathroom break. I guess it's take the gloves off. Do, do you keep the boots on? You know, it's just I cannot imagine what that world is like, but he's the guy. He's the guy par excellence for for creatures like this. And extrapolate that out further matt they wrapped yesterday on season one they finished shooting episode 15 they began principal photography for season one in january so nine months of that for him i mean nine months for a tv show is unheard of and this was without breaks now granted you know, maybe you're less featured in an episode. They've done a fair amount of promotion out for uh, the the show and the launch, given the unusual circumstances with CBS All Access and everything like that. But still, that's a lot of makeup to go through for nine months. Oh, yeah. Probably part of the reason why it makes sense to him to shave his head um just it probably cuts down the prep time so you don't need to do a bald cap and a this and a that it's just one less bit to worry about 
Well, Pete, in addition to the cast, you mentioned all those producers. And I will admit there was a moment, particularly early on, where, again, it wasn't this. They, they haven't done, you know, 20 panels all together and they know who goes first and this and that, the other. Um, there's a certain moment where things were a little quieter in the first, you know, the first 10 minutes where I was saying to myself, you're going to have this whole cast here. Do we really need five producers to show everybody that these are all important producers and this one, like, can't we just do Harberts and Berg or Harberts, Berg and Kurtzman? What are the other ones going to say? And then least of all, Pete, in my book was Akiva Goldsman, who I know, Oscar winner for a beautiful mind. But I'm sitting there going, this is the lost in space guy. This is the <laughs> Batman and Robin guy. And I think he co-wrote uh, one of the previous Batman movies. So like some real stinkers. All right, whatever. Maybe he's a good producer in terms of logistics or he can move, help move a story along or whatever, whatever. Then Pete, he had something to say. And it was like, oh, I'm going to be quiet now. Pete, what did Akiva Goldsman say? Yeah, he, he co-broke Matt's Matt's worldview and mind. <laughs> he um, was talking about, uh, I, I believe it came initially in the form of a question and then it rattled around a little bit. But um, the effect of his response was this, that this is a forward looking show and that they specifically chose to set this um, 10 years before Kirk because they want to get to those hopeful times you know, so much has been made. Well, you know, if Jim Kirk was allowed to process in real time his feelings after City on the Edge of Forever and, you know, Edith Keeler dying in his arms, then a week later, you know, we wouldn't be um, on the alien planet and, you know, the camaraderie between the, the big three uh, and, you know, uh, a checkoff catching uh you know space dust to the face and you know the 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 fun and and lightness that you know so often interceded but here with the move to serialize truly serialized tv and what that means in 2017 and talking about you know over their run getting closer and closer and closer to the federation and universe um, of the original series, that's their end point. And he said that, you know, the gift you're given is that you have to start someplace and ultimately get to that. They know where they're going, but, you know, we have Starfleet's first mutineer. We are in the middle of a Klingon war and it's going to be how we come out of those things that'll be truly important. And that was this kind of resounding Star Trek moment of, oh, we, hope is in Star Trek's future too. And this is Star Trek through the lens of less than hopeful times, but this is where it's headed. And it, it, I don't know, to me, something's kind of clicked and it was, yeah. you know, hopefully that's where we are headed too. So It was the best possible answer. Let's just put it this way. He, he you know, we both harbor a, a little bit of a grudge, Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, but yeah, he answered it eloquently and beautifully. And I feel that much better about 
this show's path. I mean, I, I think it would be fair to say that Matt and I are, are both fans of of this show, fans of Star Trek. It would take an awful lot to shake that to begin with. But hearing that was even more confidence building. Well, Pete, at that point, uh, we moved to audience Q&A, and uh, the first person had a question about whether we would see Captain Georgiou ever again. Yeah, this is a fan wearing a mask, which is not unusual when they hit the microphones for Q&A at New York Comic Con, a ton of cosplay. Um, and once this woman had asked if we would see Captain Georgiou again, she took off her mask and revealed herself to be Captain Georgiou herself. Yes, a fantastic moment. We've seen shtick like that before, but it it, it always works. It's an oldie but a goodie for a reason. And she reveals herself. Um, I got the sense that the cast did not know it was coming, which was a nice uh, thing as well. Um, Regardless, though, uh, she she was told to come up and actually made Jemison had to say, no, no, security. She's coming up here. She's invited up here. Um, A chair was brought out and we had uh, we had a second captain on the stage. Yeah, it was a great moment. Uh, a couple interchanges there. Uh, she was uh, yucking it up with Jason Isaacs, uh, told him that he better take care of her baby girl. Otherwise, uh, she would come back and get him. Um, so there's this real, you know, sisterly, motherly connection between these two actresses in addition to these characters. And that resonated even more with me in watching episode 104 with the last will and testament and the the gift bequeathed um, from Georgiou to Burnham there. But the other thing was about definitively seeing more of Georgiou. And again, this was before that episode aired, but it's not as if, they went out and got Michelle Yao just to be in the first two episodes and then killed off and to appear in hologram form in this fourth episode. Seems like there's going to be some serious flashback sequences that will make use of that seven year time span on the Shenzhou. Bring it on. I mean, that'll be an exciting route to take, uh, particularly if you do, you know, something where it's like intercut flashbacks or, you know, things of that sort, something a little bit more, uh, a little bit more modern. So all in all, Pete, a very, very good, uh, good New Year Comic Con panel. And the little bit of news to come out since then, Matt, we have all of the episode titles for the first run of the season. So I mentioned before episode five, which will come out on Sunday, October 15th. That is Choose Your Pain. Episode six, a week later, October 22nd, is Lethe. Uh, episode seven now is first time we have this map, put your fingers in your ears. Uh, episode seven airing on October 29th is called magic to make the sanest man go mad. That's a callback to, uh, the Iliad by Homer, uh, and episode eight, a little Latin here, uh, see vis pacem parabellum, which translates to, if you want peace, prepare for war. And then the first half season ending episode nine to air November 12th is Into the Forest I Go. 
Exciting stuff indeed. Pete, we will continue to podcast the show for all those episodes and more. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,528 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with us in a variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. You can visit fantasticgeek.com, fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram. We are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. If you are listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be back tomorrow evening to talk in humans. Certainly, though, regardless of where you listen to us, we will be back on Sunday to talk more Star Trek Discovery. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Chewbacca. <laughs>